In this episode, I speak with Leslie Parker, who's a pelvic floor expert. Now, she's absolutely amazing. You are going to hear all sorts of questions that that I've posed to her, some of them from the Total Somatics members, because they're so important, these questions. I wanted to include them within this podcast so that everybody has the opportunity to hear her wise and incredible information. So please sit down, get yourself comfy, have your nice cup of tea ready, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast with me, clinical somatic educator and founder of Total Somatics, Heidi Hadley. The Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast has been designed to help you gain a deeper understanding to how your mind and body work. You will learn about your amazing mind and body and why over time you can feel pain, recurring injuries and poor posture. Within this podcast, I will teach you why this doesn't have to be your future or the norm for you. Would you like to learn how to reduce pain, move freely and gain a new lease of life? Let's get started. Hello and welcome back. Now in today's episode, I'm really excited to share a very special guest with you. And our special guest today is Leslie Parker. Now, when you meet Leslie and when you hear what I'm about to tell you all about her life, it's incredible what she's fitted into her life already. And yet there's so much more to come from her. She's full of so much knowledge and so many skills to share with the world. So let me tell you a bit about Leslie. So Leslie Parker has been a physical therapist since 2000 and her special focus is on pelvic health. Now, as a pelvic floor specialist, she specializes in women's health, and that includes bladder, bowel, and pain dysfunction. And also within all of that specialism, she actually works with uh, people that are dealing with prenatal and postpartum care. And she also works with women with breast and reproductive cancer in a variety of ways, including lymphedema care. But over the years, Leslie's actually expanded her focus and she's including men and children's pelvic health. And back in 2012, she actually developed the Seacoast Premier Pediatric Elimination Therapy, or PET for short, and that was at Wentworth Douglas Hospital. But then, since then, she's actually opened her own physical therapy practice in Elliott in Maine. Not just that, Leslie's published her first book and well, her first book, should I say, was actually called The Art of Control, A Woman's Guide to Bladder Care. I think it's a brilliant title in itself. (laughs) And in June 2015, it hit Amazon's number one bestseller um, rating during that first week that it was released. So that's pretty incredible in itself. Now, Leslie works with clients to create a unique care plan that's tailored to the individual's situation, and it's drawing on her rich background of educational educational and um, manual therapeutics. Now, the primary focus of her practice is to educate and empower patients or clients to understanding their body's function and creating daily home care and home practice to support them so that they can create and continue to have a healthy function throughout their life. And I just think this is why it's so good having Leslie here, because did you notice that last part there that she educates and empowers her clients? That's really what we're all about here at Total Somatics too. So that's why I'm going to introduce you to Leslie, because this is why it's going to be a wonderful episode. I've got questions from Total Somatics members as well. So we're going to weave that all in. Um, And Leslie, just before I start, has been incredibly 
generous and she's given us a workshop that's all on pelvic floor health and that's found in the membership uh, and you can find that in the experts members uh, in the experts and um, health um, health experts section in the membership so please check that out um, but let me introduce Leslie to the rest of you here so welcome welcome Leslie it's lovely to have you here thank you I'm so happy to be here so, so Obviously, you've done lots in your time, but um, what brought you to this area? What brought you to here? I mean, with pelvic floor, pelvic health? Yeah. Where, where was your journey, you know, starting from the very beginning? Because obviously, this is incredible, but there's, there's often a, a drive, isn't there, to bring us to where we are today? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, I went back to school for physical therapy, and it was, it just seemed really exciting, but what didn't seem exciting to me was typical physical therapy, shoulders, knees, hands, elbows. It was interesting and such, but we had a woman's health um, teacher for a semester who was just so passionate about what she did. And I love that. And that's who I am. So when we had that course, I immediately fell in love with it. And right after school, I sought her out and I got a job at her place and started doing this right from the beginning. Um, I do have history, you know, when I was a child, a little girl, um, 12, 13, I remember laughing and leaking and they call it giggle incontinence. And I remember, I mean, I was such a tomboy and I'd be out there riding my bike and I'd laugh and go, oh, oh, that's not good. So um, over the years, especially with physical therapy, with this training, I got so much training. The woman that was the teacher was actually the head of a rehab hospital. And she taught me a lot. And then just for years, I just loved to learn. And a lot of what I learn is from what clients tell me. And I love trying to piece things together. It's like a puzzle. And a lot of people don't like that, but I thrive on that. So it kind of brought me where I am today. And I had gone, I had worked at a couple different hospitals, created their programs for them, their women's health, their men's health, the pediatric program, and um, finally decided to go out on my own. So that's what I did. It's incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. And when we've chatted before as well, it's, it is, uh, it's amazing what people can bring into their life. And when you said that about um, your patients as well, uh, it is like a detective work, isn't it? And, and that's mm -hmm. what keeps you fresh. And I think that's why we're all so unique that, you know, you learn these courses, don't you? You learn all these strategies and you, you know your anatomy, but you know that nobody's really textbook anatomy. There's so many different things that will make them different. And I think that's what keeps you at the top of your game and, and fresh really with everything that you create is because when you you treat somebody as an in individual instead of just a standard program um, that's what really shines and that's why you've probably been able to create all these additional resources and courses um, because you've listened to your your demographic really isn't it yes it's incredible I mean they have stories to tell and as you know when we're trying to figure something out the history is everything it's absolutely everything. And, you know, knowing what questions to ask. And the really incredible part of it is 
when people come to see me, whether they're men or women in particular, they, they are just desperate. Some of them are just desperate to, to figure this out. And a lot of times their providers don't know. And it's just amazing to let them know that I've heard their story before and that there's help for them. And it just never, it never gets old. I just love it. And I think that's the thing, having that ear to listen to them so that they feel it's that validation, isn't it, sometimes? Because they've been through the system uh, and they just feel like they're not actually being heard. They're just being put on set plans all the time. I mean, what kind of success stories have you had? Where can you, uh, and I know we've chatted before about even children, um, but, you know, what kind of success stories? Because I think that's always amazing to see the transformation. Um, One of my favorite stories, and it's a very short story, is I had a woman come to me who was 93 years old and she was very proper and very, you know, put together. And she sat down. The first thing she said was, I'm 93 years old and leaking is not a part of getting old. And I said, absolutely. It's not part of getting old. So she was having an issue, um, getting out of bed at night, getting to the bathroom. She was getting up a few times a night and she was having Um, leaking on the way to the bathroom and she was literally not leaking anymore within two sessions wow because it's because you pick apart what you know when somebody says to me well I leak on the way to the bathroom okay is it when you go from lying down to sitting is it when you go from sitting to standing up at the edge of the bed? And I break it down into sections because that's the only way to figure out what's going on. And there, there are ways to fix it in, in easy, simple ways that people don't realize. So yeah. that was, I loved that story. Yeah. Um, I recently had a she four-year-old little girl, which was crazy. I don't usually see them that young, but absolutely I would try why not because they can be helped and a big part of it of why she got better is because of this course it's about the pelvis and the alignment of the pelvis and she literally came in cutest little thing and she was way out of alignment which almost everybody is so she was so out of alignment we did just a little quick exercise to get her back in alignment and she had been um wetting her pants in the daytime and she had some bowel leakage too in the daytime and she was dry at night and literally corrected her pelvis. She came back the next session a week later and hadn't had a single leak and hadn't from that point forward, which is, I didn't expect that to happen, but that's the power of the pelvis. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And, and I think it's very much underestimated, isn't it? When you say the power of the pelvis, it really is underestimated. Um, <laughs> can you tell us some of the, the, um, like the properties and the, the, uh, the power of the pelvis? What kind of things do we not always realize and take for granted about the pelvis? The pelvis should be level. And probably 99% of the people that I see do not have a level pelvis. And if the pelvis isn't level, so think of, you've got a pelvis here, right? And when I check, I want their pelvis level from the front, from the back, left to right. And almost always they have a rotational component to it. So if we think of the pelvis like this, and especially the pelvic floor muscles, which are 
underneath or the bottom or the floor of the pelvis, those muscles will work the best and become as strong as they can be and relax as best as they can when they're in the right position, as well as any other muscle in the body. So if somebody has a level pelvis and I teach them that this is the bottom of the pelvis, so my hands are like a scoop, when your pelvis is level, these muscles strengthen well, they relax well, and they open well, which is really important. When you are rotated, especially half the pelvis being out of alignment, the pelvic floor muscles are attached to the bones. So those will also be out of alignment. And if they're crooked, they won't be as strong as they can be. They won't relax as well as they can. And they literally open like this. Hmm. So that versus this, that goes for the vagina, that goes for the um, anus, and that goes for the um, urethra. So the vagina is much more forgiving, but let's say you have the rectum like this and then you add a twist to it. It affects everything. It's harder to eliminate. It's, it can be painful, um, especially with the pelvis and with women that are pregnant or about to have a baby. I try to teach them that that pelvis is so important to keep it level because when you birth that child, this is what you want. You don't want this. And I firmly, firmly believe that women that go into labor and they're out of alignment, a lot of those women end up having C-sections because that path is just not the way it should be. So the level of the pelvis is just, it's so important to every single muscle in your body. If you're out of alignment at the pelvis, everything all the way up, everything all the way down, half of your muscles are going to be out of alignment as well. And would you say, because of that reason, you know, there's been this, um, you know, there's this thing out there of strengthening your pelvic floor, but the, the reality is that when you, because uh, this is what we deal with within uh, total somatics is that you actually want to have versatility in your muscles and that includes within the pelvic floor. And so what you're saying is kind of resonating with what we kind of discuss a lot in the membership, because you know, you want to have a, a good um, resilient strength within the pelvic floor, but you do want it to be able to know when to contract and when to relax. Would you say that there's been too much of an overemphasis on just strengthening the pelvic floor rather than creating a versatility or an adaptability? Because what you're saying is it's, it's a lot, as you say, to do with the alignment. So it's rather about alignment rather than just focusing on strengthening the core, which is or the pelvic floor, should I say? Absolutely. And I think too many people are, are told to strengthen. You have a baby, your OB guides, they say, okay, now go strengthen, go do your Kegels, go do your Kegels. Mm. I'm not a big fan of Kegels. Mm. Um, I think they're a good exercise if your muscles are strong to begin with, but otherwise they're not. The other thing, in the first probably maybe eight years of being a physical therapist in this field and checking the pelvic floor muscles, many women did have loose, weak muscles. However, in the past 10 years at least, it is rare, very, very rare that I find a woman who literally has just loose, weak muscles. Most of them have some tightness to them or some shortening to them, and they don't even know it. And if they do Kegels and strengthening, they're going to make that worse. Mm. So 
honestly, in maybe the past, even the past two years, I've probably seen two women that their muscles were truly weak. There was no tightness and I went right into strengthening. Almost everybody these days, their muscles are tighter. They're out of alignment. They were out of alignment before, but I think it's more how we live and we're on the go, 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 go. We don't know how to relax and we're just, the the tension is there. And let's say somebody has back pain and they go to a physical therapist, a regular physical therapist, what they're going to do is um, strengthen their core. Most of them don't look at the pelvis. Some of them do, or some of them will say you're out of alignment, but then don't do anything about it or tell them what to do about it. And then they, they go really deep into core strengthening, core strengthening. The pelvic floor is part of our core. And if it's already shortened or tight and out of alignment, the more core exercise we do, the tighter those muscles become. And a lot of people are under the impression that if your muscles are weak, your pelvic floor muscles are weak, that's why we leak. However, if your pelvic floor muscles are tight, that's why we leak as well. They're both dysfunctions. And 99% of the time, I see women and men, their pelvic floor muscles are tight. So we have to stretch those muscles before we can strengthen them or they'll get worse. So if somebody goes, let's say they go to a a physical therapist and they have back pain or hip pain, they're just going to focus on trying to get those muscles stronger. What they might not know is um, what is the position of their pelvic floor muscles? What is the strength or the weakness or the tension of those pelvic floor muscles? And if you just give them a lot of core exercise, they can get worse. And the interesting thing is pelvic floor muscles can refer pain to other areas of the body, of the body. So I ask everybody, do you, have, do you ever have abdominal pain? Because they can refer there. Do you ever have hip pain? Do you have low back pain? Do you have groin pain? Do you have tailbone pain? All of those can be from the pelvic floor muscles. So, and they might not even know it. So it's just so interesting. And, and I think it is absolutely fascinating because, um, you know, we are living in a time where it's like, you've got to work hard, you've got to strengthen. It's all this really, it's all about getting tighter and stronger and things, but it is that mm-hmm. resilience, isn't it? Because when you mentioned that, um, you know, that we've done pelvic floor workshops in the membership and we've talked about having that resilience, you know, so the bones need to be able to move within the whole pelvic region, don't they? And they can only have that versatility if the muscles have got that give. Whereas like you're, what you're mentioning is that, a tight muscle is just as weak as a stretched muscle, isn't it? Because that's the out of alignment. But really, when you've got an um, you've got that um, alignment issue, you are just strengthening a pattern of tension, and so you're just amplifying your pain and your dysfunction, and your lack of movement. Anyway, isn't it? It's it's really about it's all about how versatility and adaptability, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and if you don't look at the position of the pelvis, you're not doing anybody any, um, any good, really. They, they won't get better if, if the alignment issue isn't also addressed. And I address it right away. Somebody could come to me with back pain or neck pain, or, and I'm going to look at their pelvis yeah. because I have to. 
I, I, absolutely spot on because it, it's like anyone that knows within like total somatics and knows that we talk about the postures and Leslie and I talked about this previously as well so don't know if you can recall Leslie but remember I mentioned to you about when we get stressed as well there's a part of our brain that within the brainstem okay. that creates these subconscious postural patterns and it starts mm-hmm. from the center so it starts from that whole pelvic area and there's different mm-hmm. ways that that stress pattern will hold the tension in and around the pelvis and just like you're saying it ripples out so when you're mentioning about neck and shoulder pain or it could be like um, Achilles issues or anything like that mm-hmm. people might just go to the area where the the symptom is but it's mm-hmm. like standing back and looking globally because there's another factor involved that's created that pain or dysfunction isn't it and it's it's back to the center every time Mm -hmm. absolutely and if you do have a tight muscle if you strengthen it it will get tighter Mm -hmm. and that's just going to cause more dysfunction yeah it's true most people we have to stretch their muscles before we can strengthen them yeah and I think that's what it is. It's breaking this myth, isn't it? So it's, um, if, as regards though, you know, when we talk about in educating and empowering uh, patients or clients, you know, you can, you can see where this, uh, with the power of the pelvis, you know, that, that comes in. Um, do you find that that educational side of things helps people to kind of really cement that into their like memory bank? And then does that help to apply it into their practice? Do you often find that's your best method of, of training and educating them? I do. I do. But a lot of times it's interesting because it makes sense and I, I can describe it and I can show it. It makes sense. But a lot of times it, I don't know if it, they understand how important it really is to get that pelvis level and not just get it level, but to keep it level because that's hard to do without working at it. It's not a hard, it's not difficult to perform the corrections it's it's often difficult to remember to do the corrections especially when people start feeling better so i still struggle with a lot of um, clients to get them to understand that your symptoms can get better but if your pelvis just keeps going in and out and in and out in and out of alignment it's going to be really hard to rehab the muscles that are also changing their length. Because when you go out of alignment, if the bones move, then so do the muscles because the muscles are always attached and they'll either get shorter or longer. And if it keeps doing that, it's like having a trigger point maybe in your back. And if your pelvis keeps moving, you can get the trigger point out, but it comes back and you can get it out and then it comes back. And they're like, why does it keep coming back? Because you have to keep your pelvis level. So it's a challenge. Um, And I, it's it's a challenge, but I love a challenge. And as long as I can describe and educate and teach them why sometimes it's not getting better, is because the focus has to be there too. And, and that's that, hard to understand sometimes. It is. And, and would you say it's that consistency as well? They, they've realized that it's, it's kind of we're always a work in progress type of thing. And 
Um, and also, if they are doing your, you know, doing your advice, taking your advice, and then they see some of the results, and then if they just kind of drop it off after a while, then it, all the symptoms come back. And then that, that's, that's quite a really good anchoring, isn't it? Reinforcing to go, right, I've got to get back to this, because I felt so much better. I had good bowel movements, or I, I just felt like I was much more stable from within, you know, um, that, do you find that's a kind of a way that people would have driven back to creating that routine. Absolutely. And the other part is if it's a pain related diagnosis um, and the pain starts going away, we forget to do the exercises because it's not on our brain anymore. So it's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's not easy to remember to, to slide this exercise in throughout your day. And I tell them all the time, it's so much easier to remember to go to the gym once a day or five days a week. It's so much easier to remember that than it is to remember to, to uh, do a correction at lunch, do a correction um, in the morning, do a correction. It's hard to remember when you're just trying to incorporate it into your day because they feel bad. They're like, oh, I just keep forgetting to do it. So we just got to find a, we just got to find a way to connect it to something. You know, yeah. what's your daily routine? Well, let's connect it to those so it's easier to remember and then it just becomes second nature doesn't it if it, we just weave it in it's a bit like uh, when you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you have your mm -hmm. shower and things. you put that into your day don't you you don't even think about how am i going to make time for it you it just becomes effortless in the end and it's subconscious isn't it, it just becomes one of those healthy habits mm -hmm. and that's why there's a lot of different ways to correct the pelvis because sometimes you can't lie down during the day Sometimes you can. Sometimes you're sitting, there's a seated correction. You're standing, there's a doorway correction. Um, some corrections I find more effective than others, but the variety helps people to get in, you know, four or five, six times a day. So the other part too is in the beginning, you have to do a lot of the corrections because muscles have memory. And as I, as I teach, They've been in this other position for a very long time, and we just corrected it. But if you, you know, bend to pick this up or reach over here and they find that spot again, they're going to be like, oh, I'm home, and they're going to go back out of alignment. So um, it's very interesting. It really is. Yeah. No, it is fascinating. It, it really is. Now, I was going to say, Leslie, I, I put a shout out to the members and I asked them if they had any burning questions about mm -hmm. um, anything to do with pelvic, pelvic health, um, because obviously it's one of those sort of subjects, isn't it? That And we were just talking about this within the membership. And I was talking to a client yesterday in clinic. It's the sort of subject that people are sometimes either self-conscious to talk about or they think, is it just me? And I don't want to look like I'm creating this vulnerability and you just want to keep smiling to the world, you know, and, and putting mm -hmm. that the best side out. So I thought this was quite a nice way of just putting it out there. Some people privately message me rather than putting it within the private Facebook group. Um, but I've got, a, I've got here about four different um, questions and subjects to, to mention. So uh, somebody was asking about chronic tailbone pain and is there anything that can be done for that and what usually what is the trigger for it you know is there one trigger is there many factors um, and they just want a little bit of assistance with that really okay so first i'd i would ask them um is it from a previous injury did you actually fall on your tailbone on your coccyx or is it just over time it started hurting 
If it's over time, it absolutely can, can be because the pelvis is out of alignment. So the coccyx is embedded in the pelvic floor muscles in that deep third layer. And if your pelvis is out of alignment, it's going to pull the coccyx either one way or the other. And then when it's not where it should be, and then you sit, and especially if, if we sit for longer periods of time, that can start causing pain at that. So sometimes it's the actual tailbone that is stuck and it just needs to be mobilized. And sometimes it's just the muscles around the coccyx and the coccyx moves, the tailbone moves, but the muscles are really tender because they've been out of alignment. When I have people that have um, coccyx pain, I get great results with them. It's not the... Um, it's not the treatment people want necessarily because obviously we look at the pelvis, but many times we have to internally mobilize the tailbone um, to make sure that it's not stuck. So um, sometimes I will have to go in rectally to find the tailbone and the muscles around and get them to relax. So the pelvic floor has three layers. The first two layers um, vaginally in the first two layers rectally, they don't talk to each other. The third layer goes all the way from the front to the back. So oftentimes, um, a lot of it can be dealt with vaginally, but sometimes it can't. You also have to work with it rectally. And it sounds really weird, but it's, it's I've had people that have had tailbone pain for years and, and some that would carry the pillow around with them because they absolutely couldn't sit. And somebody that severe, that might take six times. And it just feels so much better so quickly. And then you keep your pelvis level. So it depends on what happened. If it was an injury, it might be that the coccyx is stuck. If not, it could be that the pelvis is out of alignment. It's pulling the coccyx and then People don't sit with good posture. So another piece is if they're sitting with a rounded back, they're really sitting on those muscles and that tailbone. So posture is a big deal when it comes to that. Mm. And there's definitely stuff that can be done for it. And, and would you say that, because um, I'm thinking of somebody else as well with the chronic tailbone pain, is if they're very sporty, they do a lot of running, been very active, that side of things, would you say that, again, even the, just that tension and tightness all within the pelvic floor, could that also contribute towards that chronic tailbone pain? You know, in, in particular, I'm thinking of somebody that sat for a large amount of time on a, um, on a, a seated bench. It was quite a hard oh, bench. Yes. Sat mm -hmm. for a while, and that was enough to trigger her response. But she's a really sporty, active person as mm -hmm. well. And I thought, could there be the two have married together that somebody that's got a lot of tension and tightness maybe within that pelvic floor, very fit, very toned. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you've got the combination of sitting for a long period of time on like a, a picnic bench, you know, um, that was enough to stir it. What, what, would you, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Absolutely, I can. But I would also look at the position of the pelvis. Most, almost everybody's out of alignment. So you can have great tone, but if your pelvis is out of alignment, it's going to pull all those muscles. And again, if you're, if you're, Pelvis, especially rotated on one side, whether it's forward or backward, doesn't really matter. But what it will do is pull that tailbone more left or more right. And then it just 
as the muscles stay tighter on one side, it keeps it over there. So sometimes, sometimes it's as simple as correcting the pelvis and all of a sudden things feel better. Correcting the pelvis and looking at seated posture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But yes, tension, absolutely. Yeah. That is brilliant. That is fantastic. Thank you for that one. And then I have a, another question here from a lady. And she said she has pelvic floor weakness. She said it comes about, you know, when she's sneezing and she jumps and she's doing any of that sort of motion. And, and at times she said it's, um, you know, she might leave the room if she feels like she's about to do a big coughing fit or sneezing because of worrying about the incontinence factor. Now, she just said that she's had two prem babies. One was cesarean, one was vaginal, but um, one was about 26 weeks prem and then the other was 34. So she just said she thought that uh, it would be really big, heavy babies would kind of contribute towards that weak pelvic floor. And because she's had two little babies, uh, she just wondered if, you know, the theory behind that really, I think that was a lot of it because she does get that weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be big babies. You don't even have to deliver vaginally at all and you can still have uh, pelvic floor weakness or pelvic floor tightness. So it would be, it's interesting um, I'd want to know what the birth was like and was there, I'm going to, I'm going to assume that this is since she's had babies and sometimes there's pain for quite a while after you have a baby, depending on what happened during delivery. And during that time, when we have pain, especially anywhere around the pelvis and the pelvic floor, we, we tense up. And not intentionally, it just happens. And then those muscles can get tighter. And as we spoke about briefly before, they might be weak. They're definitely weak. They might be weak and loose, or they might be weak and tight. So you have to figure out that component first, because a lot of people think that they're just weak and I should do my Kegels. And, but that can make it worse if they're not weak and loose. Um, and I would look at the pelvis. I'm going to keep going back to that, but I look at it every single time I see somebody and every single session to see what's going on. Yeah. A bigger baby can um, cause some of that with the heaviness and just carrying the baby and it can stretch the pelvic floor muscles. Um, but I would, I would wonder whether or not they're tight. So what I will sometimes ask always ask it's on some of my questionnaires is um do you have do you ever have pain with tampons or do you have a history of pain inserting tampons do you have a history of um pain when you go to the gynecologist and you have to have a pelvic exam is it normal pain like normal discomfort or is it like oh my oh my gosh it's awful and then do you have pain with intercourse those are red flags that the pelvic floor muscles are probably tight you don't have to have pain you don't have to have any pain, but if somebody has a history of that, I'm going to think they're probably more tight than they are loose. So um, don't do Kegels. I wouldn't even do Kegels unless, unless we figure out whether the muscles are um, loose or um, shortened. Yeah. So it, it can be from the size of the baby, but it, doesn't have to be from the size of the baby. I would check the pelvis. Is, is the pelvis out of alignment? And um, are the pelvic floor muscles truly weak and loose? 
Yeah. Uh, I've got to say that. Either way. Sorry, what was that again? Sorry. You can leak either way. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what, Leslie, when you're mentioning these things, it's, I'm, I'm sure people are listening and they're going, wow, didn't know that. Just thought it was this. And this is why it's so good having you on because you are kind of breaking a lot of those myths that are out there. Uh, and it keeps coming back to the strengthening aspect. Um, and it's about having, you know, that adaptability within the pelvis. But even just that question, of the, the thought that if you've got heavy babies and if it's a vaginal birth, it's usually going to be more of a, a pelvic floor weakness. You know, people have these stories and these thoughts in their head. Right. It's really interesting hearing your take with everything that's happening. However, what I want to do is switch because I've got a question here from a man. So it, this is why it's really important because sometimes we just think it's about women, don't we, and uh, that side of things. But, of course, as you, you've specialised with children's pelvic health as well as men's, as well as women's, you know. But mm-hmm. here, this, this question's actually come from a member, and he's now in his late 70s, and mm-hmm. he said that uh, – this issue started around his mid-60s, and he said um, he has a frequent urge to urinate, but at times there's no urine. Um, so this started about mid-60s. He's now late 70s. He's had lots of prostate examinations. Everything's come back normal. And he knows there could be a stress element to it because in his mid-50s, uh, sorry, mid-60s when this started, there was a lot of stress happening in his life. Um, mm-hmm. But he just also wants to know your thoughts on the matter. So that's interesting. Um, There are many reasons why somebody might have uh, frequency and urgency. One of the big ones is the level of the pelvis, but another one is fluids. We need to drink enough good fluids. And a lot of times, almost, almost every time that I hear this, when people start having issues with having to pee frequently or having urgency or even leaking, they stop drinking because they think that if I, if I don't drink anything, there won't be anything in my bladder, so I won't have that issue. But the bladder needs fluid, needs good fluids. Water is a great one. It doesn't have to be water, but there are things that irritate the bladder, things like caffeine, bubbles, alcohol, acidic drinks. And the other big thing that irritates the bladder is if you don't drink enough fluid, think of it like we're drinking the fluids, the good fluids to help dilute the urine that's in the bladder. Because if the bladder has really strong urine, that in itself irritates it. And anything that irritates the bladder, the bladder just wants it out. So urgency is a big one. Now you can have tight pelvic floor that will give you urgency, it will give you frequency. And that that it's, it's, it's so strong, I have to go, and then nothing comes out. That's a really irritated bladder. Yeah. Or the bladders, the pelvis is really out of alignment, or the combination of the two. Um, and you don't have, you know, it doesn't have to be prostate issues. Stress absolutely can, can give us frequency and urgency. Um, but I would take a look at the fluids, because fluids are key when it comes to the bladder what you drink, how much you drink, and when you drink them is really, really important. You can, you know, people can get up three, four, five times a night to pee. And I hear it all the time. Well, I I don't drink after dinner. Well, why don't you drink after dinner? Well, because I get up so many times at night to pee. I don't want to, I don't want to get up more. So I don't, I don't drink 
I'm like, well, so what's going on is by not drinking, now the urine in the bladder is really strong and concentrated, and now the bladder doesn't want it in there. So by not drinking, you're actually making it worse. It's really wild. I mean, I take a huge glass of water at some, my bedside every single night. I don't get up to pee. If I'm thirsty, I'll drink half that down. I'll drink half of it down before I even go to bed and then refill it. So it's not, it's not um, drinking too much. And by not drinking, you're going to make it worse. So his could be somewhat fluid related and it can be the pelvis, the level of the pelvis. And then I don't know if he has tight or weak pelvic floor, but fluids are a really big deal when it comes to the bladder. And trying to get somebody to drink more when they have these issues is really challenging. Really challenging. I'm like, just trust me, trust me. It is, Leslie, it's breaking that that other myth again, isn't it? Because this this is incredible. And I'm just thinking to myself, where have they they come from? I think they must be just people uh, associate uh, frequent urination with the drink that they had at night. Or I, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but isn't this interesting? You know, uh, and it, it, wherever you are in the world, people just follow that, that belief, don't they, really? Right. I remember growing up, my, my mom had five kids, and we'd have to go to the store. She'd take all of us to the store, and the first thing she'd say before we left the house is, okay, everybody go pee. Yes. So, that, so that's another thing. Yeah. People empty their bladders all the time when they shouldn't. Yeah. If you don't have the signal to pee, don't pee because you're actually shrinking your bladder. So by not drinking enough and by peeing too often, the just in case ones, well, I'm gonna pee now so I, you know, so I don't have an issue, by not drinking enough and by peeing too often, you're, you're literally shrinking your bladder. The bladder's a muscle, so that can change its size too. And when the bladder, you know, think about the bladder being, being this big and over time, now it's this big. We don't change the size of our coffee or the size of our soda. We don't even know that the bladder has shrunk. But when the bladder shrinks, we can't possibly go four hours at a time during the day. So what's considered normal for the bladder in the daytime is being able to wait three and a half to four hours before you pee again. That's normal. And then at night, the reason that's normal is the way the bladder works is in the daytime, it works faster. You know, our, our breathing is faster. Our heart rate is faster. The fill rate of the bladder is faster. When we fall asleep, things take, everything's slow. You know, you're breathing slower, your heart rate's slower, and the production of urine is slower. So our goal of having a four-hour daytime bladder is important because when we go to sleep, it takes twice as long for the bladder to fill. And that's how you get your eight hour night without having to get up to pee. Wow. So it's really, really wild stuff. It's incredible. It's absolutely brilliant. And as I say, I've got another question here and I've just had another thought of another question that I'll ask at the end of this. If that's okay. So um, this, this question is uh, coughing um, incontinence. So uh, this, this lady said that it gets really embarrassing, especially with um, within the elderly. And she gets, you know, you can get told to strengthen your pelvic floor. But um, what are your suggestions really when you're considering the mechanics of gravity? So I'm going to assume 
by gravity, we're speaking aging and, um, you know, everything draws down toward the ground, including the pelvic floor muscles. So if the pelvic floor muscles are supposed to be like this, they might be longer because of gravity. The, um, the bladder, the, uh, the bowels, the, the uterus, all of those things because of gravity can be lower as well. And the coughing, sneezing, that's a stress type. It's called stress incontinence, meaning we cough and a, a bunch of stress goes straight down onto the bladder and it's the force that can make you leak. Um, it depends on whether or not your bladder is um, full, not full. If it's full, sometimes what can happen is if your bladder is really full, when you cough, you leak. But sometimes you cough and you don't leak. So that's one of the things I ask people. Is it every single time you cough that you leak or is it just sometimes? It's just sometimes. Okay. Well, then some, something is going on. It's not a true muscle weakness per se. So it can be the fluids are off. And if the bladder is, think about the bladder being irritated. So when I say irritated, think of the bladder and the inner walls of it are like itchy. And it's like, oh, I don't like that feeling, right? It's not infection. It's just itchy. And when the bladder's like that, it's like, get out. I don't want anything in here because it's itchy. So things that can make that happen are, um, as I said, caffeine in a coffee or a tea or in a soda, um, bubbly, even bubbly water. Bubbly water is not good for the bladder because it's bubbles. The carbonation, it doesn't like that. Um, and then when people start having these issues again where they cough and they leak, they stop drinking. And when you stop drinking, that urine is super concentrated. And, and if the bladder is sort of like, oh, I don't like that, it's, all, it's, it's contracting when it shouldn't. So the only time a bladder should contract is when you literally want to pee. You sit on the toilet or you stand in front of the toilet, and when you're ready, then it contracts. It's the only time it should. But what happens is when the bladder's irritated, it's contracting kind of all the time. You just can't feel it. And that contraction is like, oh, I got to pee again. Oh, I got to pee again. But there's not a lot in there. So it depends. There's, there's these factors that depends on what they're doing. Um, it could be muscle weakness, but I have plenty of women and men that are you know, 60s, 70s that have tight pelvic floor as well. And a lot of it is the position of the pelvis. Um, so I'd, I'd love to give a, you know, just this great answer, but there's so many factors involved. So I would make sure the, the fluids are good. They're on board. Typically what the bladder wants is at least your eight, eight ounce glasses of a good fluid. It doesn't have to be water. It just can't be an irritant. And we have to spread those out throughout the day. We can't just you know, shoot down 40 ounces in the morning and then 40 ounces at night or and say, I'm good. I got it all in. The bladder doesn't like that. If we drink a lot in a short amount of time, the bladder will fill faster. So you will have to pee sooner. If we don't drink much over a period of time, you're still going to have to pee sooner because now the bladder's irritated. And that sign of, you know, when it's really urgent, but really not much comes out, that's an irritated bladder. Wow. Yeah. 
That's really fascinating. And, you know, when you talk about the irritation and obviously that sensitization, so we're dealing with like your sensory nervous system here. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads me on to, and you might want to weave this into what was just mentioned there, but because you deal with bowel health as well, uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking of people that have got like Crohn's disease or colitis or different forms of irritable bowel, but especially if someone say had Crohn's disease and they've had surgery mm-hmm. over the time, what's the makeup of their pelvic floor like? You know, when you think of the catalog and the events that they've had with the pain, and then you've got the surgery. When you mentioned earlier about the tailbone, the chronic tailbone, that's what triggered my thought was, you know, sometimes they'll have these ring cushions post-operative, say they've had some bowel operation. What what do you see with their sort of the the makeup of their pelvis? What kind of symptoms do they have post-operative? And even if they haven't had operations, there's still trauma, pain, there's a sensitization there. And what, again, would you suggest? Because that's a massive area of bowel health, isn't it? It is. It is. And we'd have to, most likely they have tight pelvic floor because they have pain frequently and um, they're just always tense. And it's almost like doing a chronic Kegel. Those muscles don't know how to relax when we have chronic pain, especially around the pelvis area, low back, hips, groin, any chronic pain around there is going to cause pelvic floor tension because we hurt and when we hurt we just like tense up and we don't realize it but that happens so with somebody like that who has a lot of pain they're going to need those muscles stretched the pelvic floor muscles stretched um, and the pelvis looked at because when they're when they're too tight that's going to give you bladder issues bowel issues pain you can have pain with um urinating, you can have pain with bowel movements, you can have, um, you can get infections. So when you have tight pelvic floor, it can lead to um, like UTIs, urinary tract infections, you can have vaginal infections, because those muscles are tight, we don't empty well. So even though we pee, we might not get it all out. And if it's in there, it can maybe brew some bacteria and then it, that can cause some infections which is a nasty cycle to try to to try to work around but then the other thing about bowels that i didn't that i didn't address is with all of these questions that you've already asked a big thing is are these people constipated because constipation totally affects the bladder think about the area inside the body and we've got this bladder that should have a lot of room to expand so that we can go four hours or so but if we're backed up that takes a lot of room and then the bladder can't expand and if it can't expand you're going to pee more frequently and you're going to have urgency so that's a big piece of it too, is whether or not people are constipated. And a really big thing is most people don't know that they are when they are. They think that if they have bowel movements at least once a day or every other day, they're not constipated. But there's, the whole, there's a whole scale of what can be constipation. It has to do with a lot of different pieces, not just are you eliminating. Um, there's Bristol stool scales about, you know, is, is it soft? Is it firm? Is it? formed is it not and people that have constipation they definitely can have 
bladder issues. And so that's another piece that I have to look at. And a lot of them don't think they are, and I do think they are. So the pain component with somebody like Crohn's is going to, it's going to give them a lot of issues with the bladder um, as well. And having that pain is, it's really um, difficult to deal with. But, you know, another piece of it is if your pelvis is out of alignment, it's going to increase your pain. So I have women that have endometriosis or anybody that has the uh, chronic pain, whether it's Crohn's, endometriosis, something like that, and they're out of alignment. As soon as we level their pelvis and then start getting the muscles to relax, not just the pelvic floor, but the muscles all around the pelvis, they start feeling better. Yeah. It's, so, it's mm. it is. It is. It's absolutely powerful. And I think, um, I think, I don't know if you suggest this, Leslie, but I think we've just got to be kinder and nurturing on ourselves and, and realize that we are more sensory than motor, which means we sense and feel. So we've got to take care of our mental well-being because that's still part of it, isn't it? It's when you're in pain, you kind mm-hmm. of, all the thoughts, all the disempowering thoughts, you know, people can start um, circulating in the middle of the night if they're in agony, the worst case scenarios that can happen. And then they, they feel that it's because they're unconditioned, they're not fit, they're not tight they're not strong enough or whatever it is you know all those labels that are out there um, which in itself is then playing into that stress pattern creating that tension so it's kind of ripping away all those because there's a lot of myths out there and we a lot of them today so throwing away those myths and actually just starting to create more of that nurturing and that self-care rather than sometimes treating ourselves like in a mechanical fashion where it's like got to strengthen this because of this this and people can disconnect can't they and talk about the pelvis instead of my pelvis and and just treat everything it's a machine whereas it's not it's about conditioning and our brain mm-hmm. is patterning and creating a like as you mentioned muscle memory that's coming about because your brain is listening all the time isn't it to this stuff yes yes the brain is a big piece of it absolutely mm-hmm. um and then you know always being um self-conscious or embarrassed or another piece is if people leak what they're going to do is continually squeeze those muscles to try not to leak which is going to make them tighter which is going to make them leak more so it's a vicious cycle and the fear the anticipation so that that, it's a conditioning isn't it up here as well in their head so you're starting to think oh don't want that to happen again and and the the one person that mentioned about the pelvic floor weakness with the prem babies how she would there's been times in the past or if it wasn't her it was somebody else that did it would leave the room to cause because of the fear Mm -hmm. or the embarrassment of that leakage so there's a lot of pressure there on people Mm -hmm. isn't a lot of a lot of things to deal with really and you know it's one in three women have bladder issues one in three women all over the world have bladder leakage and urgency and frequency and the numbers are higher for women um and that's just the ones that talk about it so everybody thinks they're alone and you feel alone and and you're embarrassed the stories i hear you know i only wear black pants i bring extra clothes to work in case this happens and um i have pads here and there and 
it's it's hard to relax. And if you can't relax, you're going to increase the tension overall, which is going to make things worse. Yeah. Without without trying to. I mean. Yeah. I, I think it's this has been a really special episode, Leslie, and I'm sure everyone that's listening to this is going to really appreciate it because, as you say, it just doesn't get discussed. That's why when I ask the members, let me know your questions because I'm always saying it and, and they'll say it in this instance, they're not on their own. If one person's asking that, there are other people listening to this today that will resonate with exactly that same experience. And that's, as you say, that's the people that report it one in three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but really... There's probably a fair few more than that. Um, I mean, what we're going to do is make sure that in the bottom of this episode, we've got all the links because it would be, uh, it's absolutely worth hanging on to you, Leslie, keeping connected with you and everybody else following you too. So I'm going to make sure under this this episode that we have all the links so they can find you on social media they can find your um your website um all the other links that are there is there anything else that you want to kind of share if you've got anything coming up or just to stay connected with you is there anything that you want to share with the listeners um i don't i'm not very good at promoting myself just so you know there i do um I've been doing this for 22 years and I love it and I'm very passionate about it. And I'm always available if anybody wants to contact me, if they have questions, I'm absolutely available for that. Um, I have, as you said, I have this, the social media links. I have, um, I have a membership for um, women's um, wise women's well being, And it talks about, everything physical therapy women's health all of that um and i just love what i do so i'm happy to help i I love helping that's what i do you are and you're brilliant and that's the thing is if if they just stay connected with you anything that you do in the future they'll they've just got their finger on the pulse with you they've got the latest in everything that's happening um but you are just a wealth of knowledge and experience and that's why it's it's been incredible and as i said another humongous thank you for what you've um, contributed towards total somatics for the to put into the expert section of the membership for your pelvic health and pelvic floor it's it's amazing and you're so generous and um as i've said before um anytime in the future i'm available to to basically support you with your members as well because um this work is so powerful and there's such a huge overlap that's the thing is uh, and when we first chatted um a while back i think that's what resonated with this is is about um the myths and breaking those myths and i don't know where half of them come from to be fair i don't know but they get they travel around the world they certainly do you know um mm-hmm. and so it's really about that education just getting it out there getting people to realize that it's about having the muscle memory back it's it's being able to allow those bones to move freely and it's all mm-hmm. again about getting that alignment isn't it it absolutely is i can't stress that enough mm. now have you got any sort of takeaway or top tips that you would love to share with the with the listeners before we we finish um i i firmly believe that if anybody has any type of dysfunction or pain, whether it's back pain, hip pain, it could even be shoulder pain, it could be anything like that, I really think that they should seek out a pelvic floor physical therapist because um, orthopedic PT, which is what everybody's taught, which is all the joints and the muscles and all that, orthopedic PT, we, 
we've learned everything. We know the bones, we know the joints, we know the ligaments, we know the muscles, we know all that stuff. But a pelvic floor physical therapist knows all that and more. So we know more about the pelvic floor and the organs and, you know, all of that stuff. So I really think that if somebody needs to see a PT, it would make perfect sense to see a pelvic floor physical therapist because we do all the other stuff too, but we have better knowledge of that component of it because that component of it is a big deal um, in the treatment of what's going on. It could be back pain, but it could be back pain because of pelvic floor. So if somebody doesn't take into consideration that component of it, your symptoms can get worse just by doing strengthening. It's not all about strengthening. I think these days it's more about relaxing, getting the muscles to relax. And you can't strengthen them if they're short. They've got to get their length back before you can strengthen them. Yeah. And I think the biggest myth is everybody thinks they're, or they're told, even by providers, or oh, you have a weak pelvic floor, you have a weak pelvic floor. And, you know, I get referrals all the time for weak pelvic floor. And I'm like, I'm just going to find out what I find. And, you know, I'm not going to believe that it's weak pelvic floor. And when they, you know, do Kegels, some of the referrals will come over and, and you know, teach them Kegels. I will if I, if I think they need it. But so I think, I think a pelvic floor physical therapist anywhere in your area, if, if that's what they do, um, they have more knowledge. So I think it makes sense. Yeah, brilliant. No, fantastic. Um, and, and I think that's a, a really, really good uh, spot uh, to kind of consider. So just um, just wanted to round everything up again, if you want to keep in touch with Leslie and she's so kind, she's so generous, reach out to her uh, and she can always, I'm assuming you do, do like Zoom consults and things like that. Oh, do absolutely. Do that? Yep, I do coaching as well as PT. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. So there's plenty of ways to get hold of Leslie. She's not going anywhere. So you can I'm find her anywhere. <laughs> so... <laughs> But yeah, thank you so, so much for today, Leslie. And, you know, we could continue talking for ages on this subject because there's, mm-hmm. as you're mentioning more things, there's a million extra things coming into my mind. But mm-hmm. um, I, I appreciate the time that you spent with us today. And also I know the listeners have probably got to get off and get the bits and bobs and jobs done. Um, so right. if they want to reach out to you, as I said in, my, in the intro that um, you hit Amazon's number one bestseller in that in their ratings that during the first week that your book was released. So your book is called the art of control a woman's guide to bladder care so they can find that also on amazon as well so yeah it's been yeah wonderful so thank you so so much for today leslie and um yeah and thank you again for everything that you've done with for the members as well thank you for having me on i very much appreciate it i love i love speaking about this and it's really, really important to to get it out there and to get the real facts out there as well. That's the thing. And I'm glad that we've been able to listen to your knowledge today. It's been wonderful. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. And as always, you can stay connected with us. All the details for everything we've discussed are in the show notes. Um, and until next time, all my love and best wishes to you all. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and also forward this on to somebody you know will benefit. To learn more about pain relief, plus how to improve your health and well-being, go to totalsomatics.com. Until next time, take care.